Again, everybody, Lance Russell and Dave Brown, right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sully, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon, along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, another outstanding card. Hey, guys, and welcome back to another edition of the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. That's right, 100% guaranteed territory talk each and every time out here on the show. And I'm your host, Ray Russell. And so much to jump into here this week as part of the UWF, Bill Watts' Universal Wrestling Federation 1986. Guest co-host Roman Gomez going to be back here for this one as we close out the month of June and kick off the month of July here this week. Lots of new faces headed in and a new feud for the Cowboy, as is the case with every week here in the UWF, action and excitement personified right around the corner. And before we get going, just a friendly reminder that you guys can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast and our sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, currently covering the 1988 in the WWF Project, heading into WrestleMania 4 over there on the Grenade. Also, you can listen to the Wrestling Stoop with the legend himself, Bob Roop. Bob goes back in time and talks about his 20-year career in the wrestling industry, both in the ring as well as behind the scenes. Also coming to the brand, it's the Pro Wrestling Academy podcast with the Professor Pro Raceu himself, Mr. Dan Janetti. So happy to announce that Dan is joining the brand as he breaks down the history of Japanese professional wrestling. And you can listen to all of those shows and more, all part of the WrestleCopia podcast network located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met from Apple to Spotify, Pocket Cast and beyond. And be sure to follow me on social media, guys, for all the latest goings on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. Plus, I'm constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And you can find me over there on X, formerly Twitter, at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me, Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Over 9,000 followers over there on Facebook and counting. And hey, while you're at it, why not subscribe to my YouTube channel, guys? YouTube.com slash wrestling grenade if you guys have been paying attention you know i've been adding the memphis shows along with the episodes i drop with gene jackson steve crawford you know i've been dropping the uwf shows with the shows i've been doing here with roman gomez well by august time guys here with jamie ward in georgia we're going to start dropping the georgia shows as often as i can on my youtube channel as well and hey some of the more recent july episodes also been going up lately there on youtube so check it out And last but certainly not least, now would be a fantastic time to become a WrestleCopia patron. And you can find me over there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That address again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. And of course, I'm bringing to you guys that $5 all-access tier. Gets you all sorts of gifts for just 5 bucks, including all of my insanely detailed show notes for every episode of The Grenade, Monday Warfare, and of course, the Regional Wrestling Podcast. You'll also get early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia, where you can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. In fact, episode 38 of Regional Wrestling dropped five days early. Episode 39 of Regional Wrestling dropped one week early. And this episode right here of Regional Wrestling dropped a week early also, only on Patreon. 
But I'm not done. You'll also get remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade Show, covering the 1989 NWA project. Includes enhanced sound quality, plus new content and conversation never heard before. But that's still not all. You also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, and of course, the Patreon-exclusive Watch Along series, covering many past WWF and WCW events. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5. No subscription. Cancel any time. Give it a try for a month. I think you'll like all the content that we offer, and every penny of it goes right back here into paying the bills to keep the WrestleCopia Podcast Network and all of the wonderful shows here up and running for the months and the years to come. All right, guys, that said, now we head back to the UWF, circa 1986. Here we are once again back in the year of 1986 for the Universal Wrestling Federation, which only means one thing. We also welcome back guest co-host Roman Gomez. Yes, sir. And what an action-packed podcast this is going to be. And this is part of the reason why we wanted to do the UWF podcast is because of what we're going to talk about today. Oh, my God. The first three words on my notes are action-packed edition. So you took the words literally right out of my mouth. I love it. Uh, We're going to finish up the final weekend of June, guys, and head into the month of July in 1986. And just a quick refresher, uh, Roman, for the uh, listeners out there. Last time on the program, we said goodbye to some of the talent here as we continue to welcome others in. Of course, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, he finished up at the Superdome June the 14th, did uh, back-to-back losses to Terry Taylor there. Also, Lady Maxine, same thing. She finished up at the Superdome. Last we saw her, Dark Journey kicking her hard in the crotch area. Not really sure what they were trying to imply there. And also, guys, the Ultimate Warrior, Blade Runner Rock, will debut for the Dallas Territory June the 30th. And I realized, I went back and I heard, I said June 13th on the last episode. That was a typo out of my mouth, guys. Uh, Rock left somewhere after the Superdome here on June 14th and somewhere before the tapings on June 22nd. So the Ultimate Warrior also gone. But we've got a lot of new talent headed in. I was just going to say, with the departures, that means some new people are coming in and there's going to be a lot of excitement with the new new arrivals. Absolutely. The doors open for some new talent heading over from Dallas and uh, beyond. But you can also add another name to that list of departures, Roman. Let's talk about the incredible disappearing Korchenko. Corsita or Corstia, however you want to pronounce it. Korchenko finally gone from the UWF. He took a June 19th countout loss to the Cowboy Bill Watts in Jackson. And it marks the end of his run here. As Korchenko, he either complained about money or whatever the case may have been there. But the story goes, uh, while he was booked against his boss, Cowboy Bill Watts, we have a one-on-one encounter here in Jackson, and apparently the Cowboy roughed Korchenko up during the match, perhaps taught him a lesson. And the story goes, mid-match, Korchenko abruptly left the ring, unplanned, and was counted out, went straight to the backstage area, gathered up his belongings, and left the building, still in his gear, never to return. 
We must be listening to the same people because that's a story I heard that he left with his big furry boots on, <laughs> his gym bag, and left the locker room and never came back. Probably pulled into a McDonald's shortly thereafter, and everybody said, "What happened to your your accent?" Uh, well, yeah, just probably eating the uh, <laughs> the Big Macs, just kind of sulking in himself. I don't know. I just picture him just sad after this because obviously the guy was given a last ditch opportunity to get over here. Bill Watts saw something in him. At least he was big, I suppose. He always talked about his tree trunk legs, but. Unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be. Now, I've heard he argued about money. Maybe he wanted a little bit more pay. I don't really know what else he could be bitching about here at the UWF because he's been given the the gift of the main event slot, and I don't know that he exactly deserved that, but I've seen results online at least state that Korchenko beats Bill Watts in Alexandria on June 25th. Now, obviously, that's not the case. First of all, that wouldn't have happened anyway. Korchenko wasn't going to go over on Bill, but he was already gone here on June 19th. Uh, They were already burying him by the June 22nd TV tapings, which we're going to see here in just a moment. Now, he will pop back up in random matches in 1987 and 89 in the Central States area. Now, if you hear him talk about it on Facebook, he was a top star for years in the wrestling business, rarely lost a match, and all that good stuff that we hear from many uh, former wrestlers. But I do believe he became a truck driver, and now he leads in, let's just say, an interesting life in the Philippines. Uh, But he seems happy, so I'm happy for that. Well, I was going to say, if he did stop in a McDonald's, at least he had enough good sense not to do it with Saito and Patera. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I love it. Roman Gomez already <laughs> on a roll here early in the show, the show this week. And like you said, what a slammed show we have. So we move on to June 28th, UWF television tape back June 22nd. New set of tapings here at the Tulsa Convention Center, Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's Jim Ross in Freebird, Michael Hayes on commentary. And this week we learn we will have Two, count them, two title matches here on the program, including the UWF champion Terry Gordy's first title defense. It's going to be Terry Gordy defending against Steve Dr. Death Williams. Can't wait for that. But before the opening match, we get a shot from the front row. It's Nancy Loudon. Remember her, guys? The winner of the UWF trivia contest, holding up that beautiful North American title belt and likely coming for Jim Ross, who gave out her home address here on TV. I was going to say, it's a good thing that this wasn't a live episode because everybody would know where she was at and what her address was. She would have got robbed. <laughs> well, here we go. We got Nan- they, they put it over. She's the winner. Obviously, probably, I'm, I'm assuming, came out of town. So she's from Kansas, if I remember correctly. But here she is. She's right here on TV. We get to see her with the belt. We know she's real. She's holding the title. We presume she left with the belt. Who really knows here? Maybe Bill Watts bought it back. I I don't know if somebody find Nancy Loudon and ask her if she's still out there. Uh, but no, she's here in the crowd. Pretty cool. At least they didn't put her address at the bottom of the screen. Boy, that would have been something else. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully they <laughs> learned from their mistake from the previous week. Well, off to the ring we go for the first of two championship matches here. Roman television champion Terry Taylor going to defend against the Libyan. Uh, making his debut here, at least on TV, is the Libyan. Very timely gimmick. Fresh off the Libyan terrorist attacks and the U.S. bombing of said terrorists in Libya, uh, their leader, Mamar Gaddafi, was in the papers daily at that point in time, Roman. And I wrote, hmm, wonder who came up with this gimmick. Yeah, there was no hidden agenda there with the Libyan, you know, <laughs> kind of like when uh, Cornette with the Unabomber, you know, re- <laughs> wrestling has not always been known for having... Taste. taste a there lot you of go. times, <laughs> yeah. you know, Slaughter turning his back on America, you know, at the, the timing of that. And right. uh, sad to say, but wrestling has capitalized on uh, political stuff like this before, and uh, I'm sure it'll happen again. 
Well, we continue on here. The match going to get going. The Libyan and Terry Taylor referee Carl Fergie as the Libyan. He's a big, thick dude. Got to be close to 280 pounds. Sends Taylor down with a tackle to start things off. Libyan going to overpower the champion early on. But Taylor counters a headlock with a nice looking back suplex and a drop kick. Sending the Libyan down. Taylor going to drop a knee here, get a two count. But the Libyan rushing into Taylor in the corner, running into a Terry Taylor boot. And then Taylor continues on the offense with a backdrop and a play by Terry. Brother. Is the Libyan, though, somehow finally going to gain control, shooting Terry into the ropes, but Taylor going to leapfrog over and come back on the rebound with the five arm. Knocking the Libyan down and apparently out is Terry Taylor going to pick up the win. Two minutes and 46 seconds. And I wrote, well, if you thought his size and gimmick meant the Libyan was going to get a push here, well, that pretty much answered your question. Yeah, but, you know, I thought this was a good opener because, you know, the Libyan, I thought, got in enough offense to make it look a little bit competitive, even though it was a short match. And then uh, Taylor with the leapfrog and nice-looking five-arm that he had for the victory. I I love the finish. The finish was great. I just was expecting a little more for his debut match than to go two minutes. But the fact it went short means we get a little bit longer of our next match, which uh, I'm not complaining about. No, you can't complain about that. So from there right now, we head off to a promo from Steve Dr. Death Williams. Doc says he's been training hard for his upcoming title match against Terry Gordy. This is the big one, Roman. Then on the other side, Terry Gordy cutting a promo here says everybody wants a title shot, but Dr. Death is first. Nobody from Oklahoma is big or tough enough to take it away from Bam Bam. And I love that this is happening so early on the show. We may actually get a finish. Yeah, I thought the same thing. To have this early on and then two of my all-time favorites, you know, against each other. And then later on, a, a very successful team known as the Miracle Violence Connection in Japan. And this this is what the UWF was all about. This was a dream match that you would have paid to go see at the arenas and you're getting it on free TV. And away we go to the ring. UWF champion Terry Gordy defending his title right here on television versus Dr. Death Steve Williams. As uh, Michael Hay is going to remain on commentary for this one, at least for now. We'll see if he can keep his butt in that chair. Uh, We get the intros here from with both men in the ring. I wrote big fight feel as Tommy Gilbert named the referee for this one. Michael Hay is going to point out on commentary that Dr. Death has the home field advantage here in Oklahoma. And rest assured, the biased commentary will indeed continue. As both men get going, jockeying for position early on, taking turns, overpowering the other one, and then Terry Gordy hooking Dr. Death in a side headlock. But Williams shows his insane strength as he picks up the 300-pound Gordy and launches him across the ring. Now, we've seen that spot done. The bigger guy picking up the smaller guy. He's got the side headlock on, and he tosses him across the ring. Dr. Death doing this to a 300-pound man. Dear God. And Gordy... Great facial expression when he looked up at Doc, like, how did you do that? Yeah. You know, it's just, Doc was just unbelievably strong. I mean, you you get the feeling Doc could have bench pressed a motorhome if he had to. You know, and, and the thing is, let's not forget, Doc is the one that tore a door off its hinges to rescue somebody in a car that was burning. Right. Yeah. But you get the feeling with Doc, it wasn't just adrenaline. If there was nobody trapped in the car, I could still picture Doc just walking up to sure. a car and tearing the door off the hinges. He was that strong. It's a scary thought, just what Doc could do if he had adren- adrenaline rushing through him. You know, it's like Bob Roop tells the story of a 1982 rookie still in college, Dr. Death, wrestling him at the Superdome. And uh, Doc gets a little, I don't know, overzealous early on. And Roop literally jumps out of the ring, scared for his life. Former Olympian 
scared for his life, tells the referee, hey, tell him to settle down and I'll get back in there. So that's just <laughs> Dr. Death for you. You know, just an explosive dude. Yeah, yeah. Doc's just <laughs> strength. You know, you look at the Great American Bash, the war games, when he picked Gordy up and pressed him above his head like seven times. You know, oh. Gordy, Gordy's not a cruiserweight. He no, is a not. large man, and Doc <laughs> made it look easy. And, uh, well, we got a match right here in 86, so let's see what happens from there. They go on. From there, Dr. Death going to work a headlock of his own, but Gordy managing to escape. However, Bam Bam quickly finds himself in a Dr. Death, well, you called it, Gorilla Press here back in 86. Dr. Death picking Terry up over his head and holding him there, showing off his impressive strength once again before driving Gordy down to the mat. But Terry back up and finally catching Williams good with a stiff clothesline to take control. Is the champion going to stay on top of the challenger, whipping him into the corner so hard that the top turnbuckle breaks right off the ring post? And that's going to give Terry a near fall as well. So whipping Dr. Death, the visual of Dr. Death hitting that corner so hard, they break the buckle. It's incredible, too, that not only the top rope break, that the ring crew frantically went over to fix the ropes. And that's not something you see. There have been several instances in the past where the ropes have broke. I remember it happened in Memphis, you know, certain matches with the Dirty White Boys. And they finished the match with the ropes broke. But the ring crew frantically jumped up on the apron and, you know, it looked like a NASCAR team trying to fix the tire. You know, they were hurry, 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 you know, and to fix the top rope so the match can continue. Well, I know exactly what match you're talking about with the White Boys. I just covered that recently on the Memphis version of Regional Wrestling. And the difference there was the actual whole entire uh, buckle snapped off the post here. They got a little lucky because it was more of just the hook coming out of the actual buckle in the post, because I guess it was just maybe a little too loose. So they did have that going for him. Made him I'm, not, I'm not discrediting the, the team that ran out there and fixed this thing so quickly. Don't get me wrong. But I, they got a little luckier here, as it was more of a matter of just getting the hook back in the hole and then tightening it up. But I do agree with you. We don't see that very often. Let's go out there and fix the ring while the match is continuing. I mean, that could have been disastrous for... Everybody involved, you know, the wrestler could have taken a serious bump onto the concrete. The ring crew could have, you know, got a little too close to the action. Just just imagine you're trying to fix the ropes and all of a sudden Terry Gordy comes comes flying in at you, you know, and knocks you into the middle of next week. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. And remember, we're not live. They could have easily just shut the match down, fixed it and continued from there. But they just kept going like the pros that they are as the ropes are now back up. Uh, the match, the action continues on Dr. Death reversing a suplex. And going to make a comeback here, firing up with a series of right hands. But I got to talk about how seamless that was. Like you said, they're wrestling while they're fixing the rope. And you really don't notice. I mean, you notice it, but it doesn't really affect the match. Yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for the ring crew. I'm like, hurry up, hurry up. Yeah, I just <laughs> wanted it to get back to normal again. So Dr. Death making the comeback here. Williams, though, going to miss a diving headbutt. And Gordy lowers the boom, big elbow across the back of Doc's head for a near fall. And usually we might see that for a cutoff or a a quick, you know, one, two count or whatever, but Gordy, a man, his size dropping an elbow to the back of your head. That's a believable finisher. Oh, heck yeah. With, with the, we talked about dog strength, you know, Gordy was uh, no weakling either. You know, he was a very big, strong man as well. No, you believe pretty much anything that Gordy did in there and any of it could, could finish you off as a doc at a battle back again, looks for a football charge into the corner, but Gordy sidesteps and Williams crashes hard into the buckle. Good thing that buckle was back Roman. Yes, yes, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Gordy, though, beginning to drive Dr. Death back into the corner, setting up for his finishing move, the pile driver. But Doc going to counter out with a backdrop. 
but they're close to the ropes, so he winds up backdropping Gordy out over the top rope and all the way to the concrete floor. Michael Hayes screaming on commentary, asking for a disqualification over the top rope, of course, but Jim Ross says it was unintentional, and the action will continue. After this commercial break, man, I needed that break. Oh my God, it's not, it's 2024, Roman, and I still needed to take a breath after that. Well, one one thing, you know, the, the pile driver attempt and then getting thrown over the top rope, but my first thought was, well, at least we know the ropes are, are solid, you <laughs> thank, know, because they had thank to God they were the back. top rope to <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, now, had they not fixed it and he did that, at least the ex- excuse would have been, well, there is no top rope, so you can't get disqualified for throwing him over there. But this is usually the cheap way. We saw this a lot in WCW. The back, unintentional backdrop over the top, but that's how they would finish the match so that they didn't have to give us a finish. But here in UWF, it was unintentional, and the action continues after the break here. Michael Hayes also teasing heading into this break that he's on his way to ringside. As we come back from break, Michael Hayes has made it to ringside at this point as Dr. Death continues to punish Terry Gordy, who is now back in the ring after that backdrop to the floor. Doc and a whip Gordy, who goes upside down in the corner, but Williams comes walking right into a dangerously low kick, if you know what I mean from Bam Bam there. But who is that? Out comes the cowboy Bill Watts to even the odds on the floor to cheer on his protege, Dr. Death, because they hate Russia, Roman. And you get the feeling business is about to pick up. Business is indeed going to pick up. They may hate Russia, but Russia's out the door. And we got a whole new storyline coming here. Meanwhile, Dr. Death, he's making the big comeback, blasting Gordy with a clothesline coming off the ropes. And it's Dr. Death's time to fire up. Can we see a new champion here? Williams going on the offense, blasting Gordy with a big shoulder tackle, a tackle that sends Gordy plowing backwards into referee Tommy Gilbert. And Gilbert, he takes an awesome bump straight through the ropes and out to the floor. I wrote, Excellent timing on this entire spot. Tommy Gilbert in excellent position so that he didn't telegraph it. He wasn't standing there forever so that we're waiting for the spot to happen. He just got there in the right place at the right time at the exact moment he needed to be there. Great bump, too, by Gilbert out to the floor. I said, it pays to have recently retired wrestlers as your referees. Yeah, my thoughts exactly is that everybody had their working boots on, even the referee. Like you said, the timing was perfect. The bump was perfect. So many times when you see a ref take a bump, you know, you kind of uh, chuckle and, and snicker and hee hee and ha. That looked believable. You know, when you're getting hit with the force of those two men and he went flying and, and exactly, he was a former wrestler, so he knew how to take the bumps. He knew how to make it look good. And yeah, Gilbert had his working shoes on, even though he wasn't officially wrestling in this match. No, it was great. It was like the domino effect. Doc hits Gordy. Gordy plows into Tommy Gilbert, and Gilbert goes flying through the ropes to the floor, which is a great bump, former wrestler, obviously. But the timing was just amazing because Gilbert didn't foreshadow anything. He wasn't standing there waiting to get hit. He purposely walked right into the spot as it was happening, so you didn't see it coming. There was no telegraphing that, and I loved it. It was great. And Tommy Gilbert takes a nasty bump out to the floor. We see Bill Watts out there checking on Gilbert. Uh, meanwhile, Dr. Death inside with a second shoulder tackle, taking the champion down doc, looking for a third one when he's tripped up on the outside by Michael Hayes and down goes Dr. Death is Gordy going to try to capitalize with an elbow drop, but doc out of the way and Gordy misses. Meanwhile, it's the cowboy Bill Watts coming around ringside, blasting Michael Hayes for interfering there, uh, back inside the ring, Dr. Death with the Oklahoma stampede on the champion, but there's no Tommy Gilbert. 
So instead, the president of the UWF sliding into the ring, Bill Watts making the count. One, two, three. We get about nine minutes of this match here on TV, and I don't think they shaved anything off outside of uh, Gordy on the outside after that backdrop attempt. So what a match. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely incredible. And something, you know, we had talked about Gilbert, his role. What about Hayes? You know, he trips Doc and then turns around to argue with the crowd, which gave Watts enough time to run around the ring and deck him. Yeah, and every- I am a Freebirds fan. I always have been. But when Watts did that, I popped. I was like, "Yeah, go get him, cowboy!" Like it was excitement personified. And something else too, Ray, that I noticed and I thought it was incredible was that when Watts went in to make the three count, people were literally, literally jumping up and down with excitement. Well, you have and to that figure. is something that was incredible. Oh, no, you're right. I mean, they exploded early on with the first spot, Dr. Death launching Gordy across the ring, and it just built from there. And here we go. We presume a title change because the president of the UWF slides in to make the count. We'll have to wait and see what happens here in just a moment. Now, Dr. Death wins the match, or that's the way it appears at this point anyway, as Michael Hayes and Buddy Roberts immediately hit the ring. But Doc and Watts going to fight off all three of the Freebirds here, clearing the ring of the birds. But look out, Roman. They're back for more. Watts and Doc clearing the ring twice here of the Freebirds as Jim Ross and the fans go nanners. And Born in the USA was blaring in the background as this was going on. And the Freebirds coming back in to get even more. And the baby faces cleaned house. And I got chills watching this. I was taking notes the first time I watched it. And then when I was done, I go, you know what? I'm going to go watch that again. I rewound it and watched the part from when Watts came out. I knew what was going to happen because I just saw it. And I still got chills seeing people jumping up and down during the three count Ross ecstatic voice, just losing his mind, the born in the USA blaring in the background. Like this is why I was happy to do this project. This is why I'm a wrestling fan. It's because of stuff like this. Yeah. People as good as the stuff is in the ring. I think some people underestimate how much the fans make it even more. They, they make it pop even more with their excitement. It makes me more excited even though we're you know nearly 40 years later. Yeah, it was just, it's incredible. You know, you feed off the excitement of the fans. You know, if, if they sit on their hands, you know, like this, that's the, uh, I don't want to say complaints, but that's the reputation of Japan crowds. You know, sure. like if a Masawa was against a Kabashi or something, a lot of times they would kind of sit on their hands for 20 minutes till the false finishes came and then the anticipation would pick up. They were into this from the beginning. And, you know, the cowboy coming out and then all the extra little things of the Freebirds coming out and, and the born in the USA. Let's not forget about that. You know, we're talking about patriotism. This is after we saw the Libyan wrestle, you know, the, the Russians had buried Watts in a flag. Patriotism was at a high fever pitch. So Especially to hear born in the, in the USA. <laughs> yeah. So to hear born in the USA while the baby faces are kicking butt, that just, that just added a little something extra to it. Yeah, it was like the the original New Jack deal or something here. They were just rocking yeah. people to Bruce Springsteen. Uh, so uh, here we go. It, it, Dr. Death drops the champion with his finisher, the Oklahoma Stampede. There's no referee. Bill Watts comes in and counts the three. Then they fight the birds off. And so as we head into commercial, I had a few questions, including I said, did that three count count? Do we have a new UWF champion? Well, we have to wait two minutes to find out. It's back from break. Jim Ross informs us that 
Referee Tommy Gilbert had to be carried out after that last match, but apparently the Freebirds were disqualified. So the title still belongs to Terry Gordy. I wrote, bummer. But this match showed the fans that were in the arena and those watching on TV, we now know that Dr. Death can indeed pin Terry Gordy. Absolutely. And we got a, basically a full match here. We got a finish as far as I'm concerned. The title didn't change, but as you said, the story is told. Uh, we look to hopefully see these guys fight again. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that just whets your appetite to see more. And something, Ray, I, I don't know. I didn't watch your feed mm-hmm. of what you had of the show. The DVD I had when they went to commercial break, Terry Taylor cut a promo, and he said he was going to challenge the winner. For whatever that's worth, that's just something I thought I'd throw in there. All right, yeah, you must have a different feed than me. Either that or I, I must have overlooked it some way, shape, or form. I did not. I don't have that in my notes here. Uh, but it, it wasn't a great interview or anything, so you didn't miss a whole <laughs> it's bunch. It's a Terry Taylor interview. I just, interview. I, <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that out there. Terry Taylor wants a piece of whoever wins this match. Well, he's been wanting title shots since the beginning of time here in the UWF. We'll see how that plays out for him as uh, the show does continue on. So we learn, obviously, the title change, null and void. Dr. Death wins the match on a DQ there. Uh, so again, hopefully they live to fight another day. As uh, we continue on with the program, we get a Hacksaw Jim Duggan feature in promo here. Duggan says that the one-man gang, he picked his spot before the UWF title finals. But Duggan, he just kept fighting. As we go back to last week's TV, they talk about Duggan, the Gordy brawl, as they went off the air. We also see highlights of a Dr. Death Kamala match, also from the June 8th taping. I don't know that we saw that match on TV, but uh, we do see the gang is ringside. So Jim Duggan comes in to even the odds with his 2x4 to clear the ring. Doc and Duggan clearing the ring of Kamala uh, with that 2x4, and the, and the gang goes running as well. And I thought this was a good video recap, you know, everything they did with Duggan. They they crammed a lot into this few-minute segment of uh, the tournament, the feud with the Freebirds. In case you had missed the last couple weeks or whatever, this kind of caught you up to speed with what was going on with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Yeah, and the features continue. We saw one on Gordy. We saw one on the gang and Kamala, Devastation Inc. Now we get one on Hacksaw Jim Duggan here who says he took the two weeks off, doctor's orders, but now he's coming for Skandor Akbar and Devastation Inc., and he hasn't forgotten about Terry Gordy in the UWF title either. Tough guy. And we haven't either, you know. And we know we just saw Doc pin Gordy, but that doesn't mean that we don't want to see Duggan versus Gordy as well. That's another piece of the realism here in the UWF for me, Roman. Other territories, other promotions, I got a few. Jake and, let's say Jake and Rude, 1988 WWF. Those two are glued together. They're feuding. They have no interest in anybody else, but... Here in the UWF, you can have a storyline, an angle, a feud, a hot one, too, with somebody, but you still, you're looking around, and you still dislike this guy and that guy, and you want the title, too. It's more realistic. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, if if you're the heavyweight champion of the world, there's going to be more than one wrestler that wants a piece of you, you know? So, you, you know, but like you said, in the WWF and other federations, a lot of times two guys would be married to each other doing a series of matches for the whole summer. And, you know, you think about Brett versus Owen, you know, that's pretty much all you saw for months, you know, right. with those two. But yeah, here, what I like, and we'll talk about later on, there's so many interchangeable parts, you know, like DiBiase's in the picture, you know, the Freebirds. Did the pile driver to him in Georgia? He wants revenge. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can spin this off. It's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure book back in the day. Like, there's so many endings that could have made you happy when it comes to the UWF matches. 
And another thing that was really good here, if Doc or Duggan or, or whomever has something else going on on the card, Bill Watts just subs whoever in. Chavo Guerrero down in Houston, because Chavo's super over down there. Even putting Coco into the mix if he needed to, because you know, it was just about rallying the troops. Uh, and, and people were buying it because everybody hated the Freebirds. Yeah, and, and the thing is, me as a fan, if Doc had won the belt this night, I would have been happy. If Duggan had won the belt from Gordy two weeks down the road, I would have been like, there's so many choices that they had that they could have went with that I would have been happy because they were all elevated. Everything was done right. You know, the way Watts did his product, it wasn't just a one trick pony, you know, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like anybody could have been champion. You know, if DiBiase was a UWF champion, I wouldn't have had a problem with that either. Uh, we got to continue on here. Localized promos up next for a upcoming July 23rd card in Baton Rouge at the Centroplex, promoted by Grizzly Smith. Some newcomers in town here. We're going to hear from Hollywood John Tatum and its valet, the lovely Missy Hyatt. As uh, Tatum going to be taking on the Birdman, Coco Beware. We're going to hear from Coco, Tatum, and Missy. We're also going to hear from Skandor Akbar and the gang, the gang coming to town to take on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. All right, so here we go. Missy Hyatt, uh, she she begins the promo here talking about the Universal Wrestling Association. I wrote the UWA. So uh, <laughs> Missy, Missy 0 for, uh, 0 for 1 right out of the gate here in this promo. But John Tatum says he's going to start down at the bottom with Coco Beware. So insulting the Birdman, he says he's going to start at the bottom and work his way up to the top, up to the titles. I wrote fund into the promo here as they actually stop the act. The camera keeps rolling here, Roman. But they stop the act. They stop the promo. They're, they're done with their promo, and they kind of break character here. And I, I caught Missy Hyatt wiping her nose. I wrote, hmm, wonder what that's about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, also, Jim Ross says there's a lot of things we can call Missy, but he won't do that here on a fine Sunday morning in Baton Rouge. Also, Coco talking there. He tells John Tatum to shoot your best shot in the ring. And bring that Missy lady with you, that Missy lady. Also, we heard from Skandor Akbar talking about the gang and Duggan. He talks about the sissy Duggan. They, they actually get cut mid-promo there because we run out of time. Uh, but the important thing got over. We see Tatum and Missy Hyatt now in the UWF or the UWA or whatever this is. <laughs> the walking riot, Missy Hyatt. And uh, yeah, she could definitely elicit a reaction out of the crowd, whether good or bad. You know, Missy did not just come out of the locker room and not get a reaction people were excited to see her now it was just odd to see them in a local promo here and they haven't really made their debut on tv yet so it was a little out of order as far as far as i was concerned but i ain't complaining love tatum and missy yeah the the uwf would do that once in a while we we had talked i i believe it was when the sheep herders lost the belts around the crockett cup time and then uh, like 20 minutes later in that episode, they had the belts talking about the Crockett Cup. You know, occasionally they would kind of do some weird placement with the interviews. And, you know, like you said with that, if they haven't been in the in the Federation yet, they're cutting promos like they have been in, in there already. It's just kind right. of interesting. Yeah, very, very uh, odd. But, hey, I'll take it anyway. We know they're coming. So that's all that really matters is we head back to the ring. What a show. Two title matches, including Doc and Gordy. And now it's Cowboy Bill Watts versus, well, it was supposed to be Korchenko, but, well, we'll talk to them about that a little bit more in a second. We, we discussed it earlier, but they're going to address it here in the ring. Korchenko no longer in the company, so it's Bill Watts taking on Blade Runner Sting with hot stuff Eddie Gilbert by his side. Is Gilbert going to grab the mic? He has some important things to say, Roman. He says he has some bad news for Hot Stuff International. 
As Eddie goes back to this past week to June 19th, Jackson, Mississippi, Bill Watts used a baseball bat to run Korchenko off, and thus Korchenko now gone from the UWF, so he confirms it here on television. Oh, but apparently Watts didn't stop there, Roman. According to Gilbert, the Cowboy also used this bat on Rock of the Blade Runners, so now the Ultimate Warrior also gone from the UWF, so Bill Watts booking himself to run all the talent off. Yeah, I guess Watts had more hits than Tony Gwynn. You know, he's using a <laughs> baseball bat and eliminating people left and right. And uh, it's just kind of interesting that with Korchenko, not not to beat him up any more than we have, but even if they didn't mention him, I don't think people would have been writing the the networks or the UWF asking where Korchenko was, you know? So it, it's probably for the best in the long run that, that he's gone from the Federation. Uh, it's one of those rare situations where even though he was in the main event, had he, had he disappeared, the feud with Watts kind of ran its course. I don't know that anybody would have been asking, where did he go? I think people would have just moved on without mentioning it here on TV, but you know, they want to get him back here for, for leaving the company or whatever the situation is. So they're not done talking about it yet. But with Korchenko now gone from the company and Rock also gone from the company, Eddie Gilbert is losing members left and right here, but hopefully that'll change soon. Well, I, I had a thought, you know, Gilbert losing members, uh, maybe he can go call Honey Bunny or Bad Bunny or those of you that remember oh, some yes. of our previous podcasts that he had the benefactor, maybe he can call her and get some money and bring in some new talent. Ah, good call. Yeah, it's time to call her back up. It's been a few months since he lost Taurus Balba and Korchenko and the Warrior. Uh, So we get back to this matchup, though. It's Bill Watts versus Sting. Boy, talk about a uh, (laughs) a change in the the, the guard here. Two different, completely different eras in the ring. And it's kind of cool to look at here, seeing them stand across the ring from each other. But the stipulations here state that if Bill Watts wins the match, he gets five minutes alone with hot stuff Eddie Gilbert in the ring. But if Sting wins, Eddie Gilbert gets to whip the Cowboy five lashes with the Cowboy's own belt. Uh, it's going to be something to see as Born in the USA begins to play Bill Watts to the ring with his whipping belt in tow. As uh, Mike Wilson, the ring announcer, introduces the match, I have to take a brief second to realize we are getting this on free. T- we just got a UWF title match, and now it's Bill Watts versus Sting with a stipulation that he can get a hold of Eddie Gilbert. All of this happening right here on free TV. Yeah, you know, and it was cool because you could tell that Sting was an up-and-comer. I mean, I don't think anybody at that time saw what Sting was going to turn out to be, you know. But, uh, you know, Sting versus Watts, and they did the old AWA deal, you know. If you beat Patera or Blackwell, you get five minutes in the ring with the Sheik. And I can tell you, being in attendance for a stipulation like that, it was exciting. And so, you know, to have the opportunity for Watts to maybe get his hands on Gilbert, everybody was chomping at the bit to see that. So before the match, Bill Watts, he takes the mic and he buries Korchenko, calls him a big fat Russian, said he got one look at a real warrior and ran away. And that marked the beginning of the end of Hot Stuff International. And tonight is going to be the final night as the Cowboy plans to get rid of all of them. And I admire the Cowboy for coming in here like he's in his prime, but I I could have done without him wrestling in just trunks. Now, had he wore a t-shirt and trunks or no shirt and jeans, I could have dealt with that, but man, Cowboy Bill Watts in just trunks and boots, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not exactly. Not much uh, I can add to that. Not, not, not exactly visually uh, appeasing, uh, but but the action gets going. Is Stinger going to grab a side headlock? But Watts going to shoot him off the ropes, and the Cowboy with a drop down. 
as Bill pops back up with a shoulder tackle on the Stinger. Cowboy going to tie Sting in the ropes and take a running splash into Sting while he's tied in there. And then a second one for good measure there, and then just slaps the shit out of Sting. Legitimate slap, guys. You can hear it right there on the TV screen. Is Eddie Gilbert finally up on the apron trying to free Sting from the ropes, but Hot Stuff going to get popped for his troubles, knocked out to the floor by the Cowboy. And then Bill Watts grabbing Sting for the, wow, really? Oklahoma Stampede. Is this really already over? One, two, Eddie Gilbert on the top rope, leaps off, but he's too late. Three, and as Eddie leaps off, the Cowboy moves out of the way. Gilbert lands on top of Sting instead, and Bill Watts gets the three count on Sting in one minute and 38 seconds. Yeah, Watts made very short work of Sting, and uh, you know the the format of the television show being an hour. There was a reason that was so short because stuff's going to happen with Gilbert, and then the aftermath. So I'll, I'll let you take it from here. Well, I wasn't expecting a, a real match per se, but I thought maybe it would go four to five minutes. Sting gets in some cheap shots, but ninety <laughs> seconds. I wrote, "Wow, that was short." But that's all to save yep. time for what you alluded to—the post-match antics here, the aftermath, if you will. Now, remember, the stipulation stated that if Bill Watts won, he got five minutes with Eddie Gilbert, which is a lot longer than this match went. As the Cowboy wastes no time grabbing hold of Eddie, blasting him with a pair of tape-fisted right hands. Great bumps by Eddie, and he is busted wide open in record time. Blood is flowing. His face is completely covered in blood with like in like five seconds. Yeah, I was going to say, Gilbert did a great job selling for the boss. You know, like he leaped into the air when he got punched and uh, immediately, immediately, like you alluded to, juiced. And I remember Missy Hyatt saying in a shoot interview that if Gilbert knew he was going to juice, he'd start popping aspirin because it right. thinned out the blood and it would make the crimson flow a little easier. And uh, yeah, there was a good amount of crimson flowing from Eddie Gilbert after those punches. Yeah, in record time. I mean, just a couple of shots at Eddie Gilbert bleeding profusely, uh, literally, guys. And then the Cowboy going to take to the strap, grabbing hold of his belt, begins to whip Eddie Gilbert across the back. But look out, Bill Watts. It's the fabulous Freebirds returning to the ring. They hit the ring to attack the Cowboy, looking for revenge from earlier tonight in the Dr. Death Gordy matchup. And it's four on one. As the Freebirds and Sting begin to beat down on the Cowboy, Freebirds putting the boots to him, beating Watts down. Gordy going to go up to the top rope, driving down, flying off the top rope with an oriental spike into the throat of Bill Watts as referee Tommy Gilbert tries to make the save but gets knocked down to the mat and chaos ensues. Eddie Gilbert holding Watts down for the Freebirds to lay down a beating as Ken Mantell, the booker, comes in next but immediately gets knocked to the outside as well. Terry Gordy taking his thumb, driving that Oriental, that Asiatic spike, if you will, into the throat of Bill Watts, just digging it in there. And Watts is out. He's playing dead in the ring, for lack of a better term here. Jim Ross says that he's turning purple, by God. You know, and Watts obviously wasn't going to feud with Korchenko and uh, the Warrior anymore, so he needed some new foes. And this, the Freebirds were already over, but to do this to the Cowboy just made him even more over his heels. Yeah, you couldn't pick a, a better group of heels to feud with. Uh, not only do you have great bumpers and great workers, but you have the, one of the best talkers of all time in Michael Hayes. So it just seemed like the right thing to do here. As uh, Bill Watts is down and out, finally the cavalry al arrives. It's Chavo Guerrero, Terry Taylor, Dr. Death, and Duggan. They fight the heels off and then check down on the motionless cowboy on the mat. Bill Watts appears to be bleeding from the mouth. He's unconscious here. 
Jim Ross says he's bleeding internally as we have to take a commercial break. So gives you something to think about and worry about for the next couple minutes here. Bill Watts down and out motionless, as Jim Ross said, a great way to describe this, but man, just a wild thing. It's just come out of nowhere. Bill Watts gets his finally ends the feud with Eddie Gilbert. But just as he ends the feud with Gilbert, the new one begins seamlessly all at the same time. You know, I was just thinking if at this time you're a new fan, say you just started watching two months ago, you're probably thinking like, what's up with this Watts guy? You know, he gets beat up a couple of weeks ago and can, you know, they showed him staggering to his feet and collapses and he gets beat up here. If you're a new fan, you're probably thinking like this Watts guy needs to call it quits. You know, he keeps, he keeps getting roughed up. No, this was awesome. I love it. I love everything that I know is coming already. I wrote great angle here, but um, let's take a step back uh, and we're, we're fans, but let's dissect this for a second. What do you think Rowan too soon after the similar Russian attack? I mean, the aftermath, it just felt like deja vu seeing Watts laying there, you know, with people over top of him. Like, didn't we just see this a month ago? Yeah. I was going to say, this is the Watts getting attacked 2.0, you know, it, uh, you can argue which one was better, you know. I mean, Ivan with the chain hitting him. But, yeah, we were like, we just saw this. This is like having part two of a movie having the same ending as part one. Like, we literally just saw this a few weeks prior. And as the attack was going on, I really wasn't thinking that. But it was the aftermath where there's kind of silence there. and Bill Watts is just laying there and everybody's checking on him that it really brought that deja vu back for me. Like, didn't we just see this not too long ago? So that was a little bit interesting that Bill Watts would book something so similar. Uh, but I get right. what he's doing. He's trying to get the heat back. The Russians are gone maybe earlier than he expected Korchenko to flop. So we got to come up with something. And you can't complain the Freebirds and Bill Watts. As we come back from break, Michael Hayes has wisely left the commentary area. And he's replaced here by Captain Frank Dusick, who says, if anyone can recover, it's the Cowboy. But it may take a while. And he warns the Freebirds, you better beware. Yeah, just thinking about it, like, I had no problem with Watts coming back in the ring and teaming with the baby faces, but yeah, maybe they could have went a different different way, you know, have Gordy put the the spike on, on uh, Duggan, who, you know, they had heat with, and then have Watts come out and make the save or something. But but yeah, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but it's just uh, the same thing too soon. Uh, we go on, though. There's more action in the ring. Going to see the Birdman, Coco Beware, take on Gustavo Mendoza. I, I question, didn't we see this before? It's a rematch from that dropkick of doom back in the month of March. They literally sell this as a rematch, Roman, that Mendoza apparently requested. Only took about three and a half months to get it. As Gustavo going to attack, he wants some revenge here for that dropkick, beating down the Birdman, choking him with his ring jacket. Mendoza with a nice rolling senton here, but JR has no idea what the maneuver is. Uh, we see a backbreaker, only going to get a one count on Coco as the Birdman begins to hulk up here. I wrote, well, if you thought that dropkick from last match was nasty between these two, beware with a clothesline that would make Stan Hansen blush. I wrote, Jesus. Yeah, Coco's not known for a clothesline. You know, he's not Nikita or Hansen, but yeah, I had that in my notes too, that that was a nice looking clothesline. And as far as them... Building this as a rematch, I didn't have a problem with that because people remember the last match. You know, if Coco beat him with just a standard backslide or an inside cradle and they hyped it as a rematch, you'd be like, come on, it's an underneath guy. But people remember that dropkick because they saw it every week on the opening credits as well when Coco almost tore Mendoza's head off. Yeah, I mean, it's not breaking kayfabe, but it's almost breaking kayfabe because they're selling a move. Like, oh, well, you remember that dropkick? That was embarrassing. And he's looking for revenge. 
this entire quote unquote feud, if you will, is over a spot. So <laughs> I love it. But man, this clothesline here, you would have thought Gustavo pissed the Birdman off. I mean, he just lays it. Even Jim Ross on commentary, he didn't do that. Oh my God, the Cowboys walking tall kind of deal. He was just like legitimately like, holy shit. I mean, it was, it was, it, a it caught me by surprise. Yeah. Uh, but Coco going to go into Coco mode here, landing a couple of drop kicks and it's up to the middle rope for yet again, another missile drop kick. Now we don't get that angle that we got the first time. So I can't say how devastating it was. Not that any of Coco's drop kicks weren't devastating off the ropes, but uh, this one didn't look as nasty as last time, at least, but that's not saying a whole lot. Match goes only one minute and 53 seconds. So much for revenge. The Birdman. Going to pick up the win. And I, for one, I'd never mess with them. Yeah, and, and you know, so a couple points I wanted to make, too, is that they mentioned that a radio station they showed was at ringside to broadcast the match. You know, that, that oh, yeah. shows the popularity of the UWF that if you're willing to listen to it on the radio but not see it. You know, think about that for a minute. Right. You know, that's not something that was done back then. And then yeah, this Ross isn't the 1940s said, pre-TV when, when you had to listen to wrestling on the radio. Right, and then Ross also mentioned that the UWF went to Winsville, Oklahoma, and it had 2,700 people in attendance in a town of 1,000 population. Now, I tried to look up the results. I could not find anything for Winsville, so it could have just been Ross blowing smoke, but I thought that was interesting if, in fact, it was the case. Can you imagine living in a town of 1,000 and there being 2,700 people to go to the matches? Wow. Yeah. Well, I have, I'll have to do a little digging into that. I don't even have that in my notes. I guess I missed that. I guess I was too busy waiting for a drop kick or something there, but no, I'm going to, I'm going to go check that out myself. Winsville. I, I guess that's a real city, but it just seems a little, I don't know. We'll we'll see. Uh, I'm going to try to dig up the building and hopefully we can get some results. Maybe we can look into some old newspaper clippings or something. Uh, I'm looking forward to checking that out. I, if that's true, that's pretty damn amazing. That's a lot of people. You're damn near 300% more than your town holds. Well, even, you know, if it's not true and, you know, and Ross was just trying to hype it up, the fact that they actually did show a radio station there oh, yeah. at yeah. ringside, I, I oh, thought yeah. was kind of uh, incredible too. No, I, I totally agree that, uh, you know, that they're, they're obviously they're getting over. Bill Watts knows the right people. He's talking to him. Obviously we're in Oklahoma. Hey guys, come check this out. And now, obviously they wouldn't just do that because Cowboy asked them to, there had to be some merit there that UWF is really getting over in a, it's safe to say that specifically in Oklahoma, uh, Tulsa, in that area, it's, it's, it's next level at this point. Yeah, you know, and just thinking, who knows how many uh, houses that that radio station was able to reach. Yeah, no, it's, good. it's a good call and it's good publicity for the UWF for certain here is uh, they're trying to expand it any way they can. And that's just another way to do so. Uh, we continue on, though. Remember the beating that Bill Watts took earlier? Well, we go off to the Cowboy right now. He's recovering in the locker room. We're going to hear from Bill Watts. You know, I, I stand, I've always stood for what I've believed in. It may not sometimes be the most popular, and it may not be easy, but I've always believed that you've got to stand for what you say and you've got to try to back it up. When I got involved with the hot stuff and threw my hat back in the ring, I knew I'd be live bait. <coughs> and Freebirds... I know I've stuck in your crawl a long time because this is where you first gained your fame. When you blinded the junkyard dog. And he was out for nine long weeks. And I kicked your tail then. And I forced you to leave. And I embarrassed you. And now you've run rampant 
You've just run roughshod over the whole world and you've built your reputation and you've built your courage and you've come back and you've jumped me. But you made one fatal mistake. I'm still breathing. So Bill Watts talking about that post-match beatdown has a towel wrapped around his neck here, and I'm not sure what that does for internal bleeding, but the visual effect was there anyway. Uh, Watts goes back to the Freebirds and where they first gained fame, right here in the Mid-South back in 1980, when they blinded the Junkyard Dog. And he was out for nine long weeks. And during that time, the Cowboy, he kicked the Freebirds' tail and then forced them to leave town. I'm not sure that's how it ended, but that's the story we're telling here anyway. Uh, but... They went on to run roughshod all over the world, and now they're back here for revenge. But the Freebirds made one fatal mistake, Roman. The cowboy is still breathing. Yeah, that was a good line because, you know, as long as there's breath in Cowboy's body, you know he's going to fight and uh, he's going to get his revenge. Yeah, it's such a good line. They actually use it at the end of the program. They air that last sentence again. The Freebirds, you made one mistake. I'm still breathing. As we continue on, one more match here this week. God, did they cram a lot into this hour. The Missing Link with Dark Journey taking on Jack Victory. As uh, we cut back in the ring for the next matchup, Missing Link and Victory already going at it before the bell. Apparently, we learned that Jack had jumped Link, but attacked him on his head. Big mistake as Missing Link clears Victory from the ring, and the match is on. As Maxine, now gone from the UWF, but Missing Link, he has Dark Journey. So my, how the tables have turned for poor Jack Victory. As Frank Dusick quips, maybe Maxine is driving Korchenko's getaway car. I popped for that when Ross said, where's Dark Junie? And Dusick says she might be driving Korchenko's getaway car. And he said it so subtle that I, yeah. I had, like, did I just hear that right? Like, yeah, it was but like, I thought it was like was deadpan. Good, good, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a good jab by Dusick. Yeah, I got to bury both of them on the way out here, uh, both of them quitting the territory. As Jack Victory, back inside the ring, jumps the link again as the credits begin to roll. I wrote, lame, missing link, firing back with various headbutts, causing Jack to bail again. But this time, Victory lays chase to Dark Journey around the ring. Jacko chasing Journey back into the ring, and Victory running right in to a missing link headbutt, and then stumbles into a Journey slap from the apron as well. Link, then with the forward-falling power slam driving Victory down, going to get the one, two, three. Journey in the ring before the ref even finishes the pin. This one is over. Just one minute and nine seconds. Pretty definitive win here for the missing Link. And even though it was a short match, it's always nice to see a finish like we've talked about. You know, we're getting kind of spoiled here because in the past we've talked about when they roll the credits, you know you're not going to see a finish, but... We've seen like three of them in the last two months where we've actually seen a finish when they roll the credits. So Maxine is gone here now, uh, and we see Jack Victory. He's been accompanying the sheep herders to ringside, but they don't necessarily accompany him. They never really help him, which is kind of a weird dynamic that's basically coming to an end anyway. Plus, with no Max, Jack Victory, he just looks naked and generic out there. So the one-minute squash, it makes you feel like maybe this is the end for him. He certainly needs a new alliance, and that's coming really quickly here. Right. You know, and it, like you said, it does make him feel naked because victory didn't get promo time, you know, so people weren't, didn't know what to expect of his personality or anything because they hadn't heard him. So when he walked out by himself, like you said, it was just kind of like a bland, generic thing. As uh, we roll on, guys, to June 29th, Power Pro Wrestling, hosted by Jim Ross. Now, they promised more Superdome matches this week, but instead we get 
a Terry Taylor freeze frame video. How about that? No Superdome matches, but we get some freeze frame. Ah, I hadn't seen that in, uh, what, about three weeks? <laughs> oh, you're only saying three weeks? You're, you're being generous. Uh, now, now, there was a great commercial that caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it. I actually, I, I posted the whole TV episode, but I also went back and cut this commercial out for those who don't watch the whole show. And I put that on YouTube as well by itself. It's Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Apparently, he cashes his checks at Money Express, open 24 hours a day, cash up to $100,000 in free money orders, Roman. I wrote only $100,000? So I guess the Freebirds cash their million-dollar check elsewhere. But again, how much do you think they take out of that $100,000, these check-cashing places? In fact, who the fuck has a $100,000 check and needs to cash it at a Money Express? (laughs) Well... Maybe somebody that wins the Crockett Cup or one of those battle royals. But, but what I want to know is, did they cash checks for any wrestlers from Parts Unknown? Oh, good call there. I, I, I'm thinking all sorts of illegal shit going on here at Money Express, tough guy. Uh, here, here this week on Power Pro, three title matches, actually, guys. Of course, they're all throwback matches, including we see Terry Taylor defeating Buzz Sawyer for the TV title back on June 7th. Also, we go back to April 5th. The Fantastics defeating the Sheepherders for the tag team titles. And in the final match of the program, April 11th from Houston, Texas, we see the, at the time, new North American champion Hacksaw Duggan defeating Dick Slater on his way out. So pretty action-packed episode, but again, all throwbacks. Yeah, and it was just, I don't know, Power Pro was kind of a hard show to figure out sometimes, you know. I'm I'm glad later on as the year went, they changed the format a little bit and would show more current matches. Well, it felt a little lazy. Some Sometimes you would get half the show would be angles that happened over the same weekend that you're watching UWF programming. Other weeks, the whole entire program, it could have been, it could have aired any year and you wouldn't know the difference because it's just a bunch of throwback stuff and there's really nothing up to date. It kind of reminds me of the like program director at, at ESPN back in the day, you know, where <laughs> They would show AWA on a Monday, and then Tuesday they would show World Class, and Wednesday they would show an AWA that predated the previous AWA. You know, it was almost like, well, let's just throw on wrestling, and that's kind of what Power Pro felt like. Well, let's just find a match somewhere and throw it on there. Uh, What's the difference? It's a couple guys in the ring. Yeah, oh, sure. sure. All right, guys, we're going to close out this Power Pro. Real quick, I got a bunch of UNO Lakefront localized promos for everybody's uh, interest out there. We got Eddie Gilbert and Sting right here from a Maxine-less Jack Victory as well as Dark Journey, Fabulous Freebirds, Ted DiBiase, Skandor Akbar, One Man Gang, and Hacksaw Duggan. It's all coming to you right now. Oh, yeah, Cowboy Bill White, you're a real smart man. You're very smart. Everybody out there saying what a high IQ Cowboy Bill White has got to have of signing a match like this because if he beats hot stuff Eddie Gilbert and his man Sting, he gets Eddie Gilbert in the ring for five minutes by himself. But... When Sting, when you beat Cowboy Bill Watts, I get to take that long, long belt of his, and I get to give him five long, big lashes, Cowboy. You think you're real smart, but what's already happened to you one time? You had your chance with me one time, and that's the only time you're going to get, Cowboy, because Hot Stuff's going to get his chance this time. And you know one more thing? Even if you were to get lucky and win and get the five minutes with me, you better be watching your back, because what kind of plan do I have in store this time? Only you and I know, Sting. Well, the cowboy is not going to be, well, it's going to be something else. I was going to say it wasn't going to be in a, in a good mood. That's a major understatement. It's going to be quite a, a meeting at 3 o'clock today. Now, remember, Jack Victory goes against the missing link at 3 o'clock at the lakefront. Dark Journey will be there. Well, Maxine, listen to this. Dark Journey, I'm a little sick and tired of you. 
You really did it this time, Dark Journey. Louisiana, the Superdome. You threw powder in Maxine's face and then you kicked her. You kicked her where people don't get kicked. Well, I don't like it. And I know Maxine laying back in bed right there don't like it. Well, let me tell you something, Dark Journey. She's going to get you back. And when you come down that aisle with that guy with a painted green face, I'm going to take care of him. Okay, the match has been signed. Jack Victory versus the missing link. Well, see, I got the missing link. And the link's going to take care of you, Jack Victory. And Maxine, be right there, because then I'm going to take care of you. Jim, we're back with it. Ladies, listen to this. Hey guys, you know what I got right here? <laughs> I got the same pen that Cowboy Bill Watts used to sign us for over a million dollars. The same pen that signed your death certificate. Because that big helium head ego you got overran yourself and you messed with this. You messed with the universal heavyweight champion, the number one man in the world and one of the six-man tag team champions, and bigger than that, the universal heavyweight champion, and Terry Bam Bam Gordon. Oh, that's it. You know, Bill Watts messed with me. You see what he got. Ted DiBiase, now you're coming after something I love and something that I've worked for all my life, I boy. Know. You know, I've been out here, and I've been running up and down the roads, and finally I get a good chance for a title, and you're going to come and try to take my title away. Let me tell you something, boy, I'm going to kick your tail from one end of that arena to the other, so you might as well get ready for it, DiBiase. You know, it wouldn't be so bad if you could get in the ring and you could face one Freebird, but where you see one Freebird, there's always two, and most of the time, there's always three of them. Terry Gordy, you ripped me off in Houston, Texas in the tournament, just like you ripped off Jim Duggan. I had you flat on your back, and here comes Michael Hayes. And then in New Orleans, I've got a match with Michael Hayes, and here comes Terry Gordy, and I power slammed you, Gordy. I put your shoulders on the mat for a three count. No, you weren't the legal man, but the point is, it was one, two, three. And the next time I face you, Gordy, I'm taking that belt, and it's going to be the same thing again. Plus, you're going to see lights out, no rules, no sanction, anything goes, and it probably will. Today at 3 o'clock, let's hear from the participants, Duggan and the Doctor, and Akbar and the one-man gang. That means nobody wants to have anything to do with it. So it's not sanctioned, fine and dandy. You talk about your two-by-fours, your chairs, and all your weapons. Well, remember, gentlemen, it could get awful hot. And you know what I'm talking about, Duggan. It could get awful hot. I got the punk slapper. And tell him how tough all Stan Street is. Hey, this is my type of match, Akbar. Me and Kamala, Doc and Duggan. You better cover. You better bring some asbestos covering, boys. Lights out, match. Anything can go, Jimbo. The two biggest men in professional wrestling today. One man gang and Kamala. When you talk about lights out, you're talking about Steve, Dr. Death Williams kind of match, and you're talking about Hacksaw, Jim Duggan's kind of match. Because anything goes. You can throw them over the top. You can come off the top. You can get outside, hit him with chairs, hit him with two-by-fours, hit him with tables. It's just like when me and Doc go off for a night on the town. All right, so big action upcoming. The same day here, June 29th at the UNO Lakefront Arena, I thought, hey, with all these promos, I'll read the results. But I don't have the results. I only have the matches, so... It is what it is. I do apologize, guys, but I always love to hear a few promos here on the show. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to hear what the different markets would get and uh, 
just to see what was going on in other towns and uh, to hear about some of the matchups. Well, we're going to roll on. We're going to see if they can live up to the hype or follow up the hype, I should say, that, that just took place last week on UWF-TV as we are now on the 4th of July weekend. So let's see what kind of fireworks we get here on July 5th. UWF-TV, June 22nd, taped at the Tulsa Convention Center as a clip from the end of last week. The missing link, once again, pinning Jack Victory, but this time from an alternate camera angle, as this time we see Jack Victory roll out of the ring and the camera cuts to the floor with Jack Victory shouting, you don't know who you're messing with. One phone call is all he has to make, Roman. So plans already in place, it would seem, for things to come. So I, I thought it was interesting there that last week we didn't see that. We just saw the link go over. So literally two different things happened here, and they, they kind of splice it in, into two episodes of TV. We didn't see Victory doing that at the end of last episode. We only saw him lose. This week, it's a whole new story involving Jack Victory. That's a good way to confuse the viewership. You know, like when you do stuff like that, it, you need to make it make sense. And we've noticed some editing mistakes, you know, sure. lately in the UWF. And this is kind of like another one, you know, you need to keep track of what's being aired and what market and whatnot. You don't want to confuse the viewers. Well, we're going to kick the show off here on commentary this week. It's Jim Ross. And well, I can't believe it. I can't believe he'd show up a smug ass. Michael Hayes with a shit-eating grin on his face as Jim Ross says, Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mid-South... I mean, the Universal Wrestling Federation. It's only been about six months, JR, as they talk Jack Victory in a situation that maybe he can't handle here with the missing link. As Jim Ross says, Speaking of situations you can't handle, Michael, Jim Ross, in regards to Bill Watts, says, You're not dealing with a normal human being. I wrote, No shit, Roman. Uh, Michael Hayes says, Nobody messes with the Freebirds, and that's enough on this topic. So Jim Ross, referring to Bill Watts as not just a normal human being. Yeah, and speaking of mistakes, I caught that too. And you start to hear Mid-South, like, oops. <laughs> Jim, well, it's okay. It's no big deal. Jim Ross, you know, he's okay to make a mistake. He covered himself pretty damn good here, but I love it. Jim Ross wanting to talk about it at the top of the show. And Michael Hayes, he just says, you don't mess with the birds. And that's all I got to say about that. As we head off to the ring for singles action, Chavo Guerrero taking on Vicksburg, Mississippi's own Ken Massey. It's Chavo with some great fast mat wrestling early on. They're all over the mat, Roman, as he works Massey's leg and delivers a catapult across the ring. Usually we see that for the ladies. Uh, we get the obligatory Chavo eats tacos and burritos line here from Michael Hayes. Groan. Uh, looks like Guerrero. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, looks like Guerrero leaps up. I, I, I suppose he was going for a Hurricane Rana here, but Massey has no clue how to take the move and literally takes a back bump with it instead. So it kind of looks like Chavo with a, a flying butt press of sorts. So Guerrero back up to his feet and grabs Massey, hooking him for a Northern Lights suplex, going to score the win. Two minutes and four seconds as they announced that the UWF is headed to El Paso, Texas, Guerrero country. Yeah, you know, I, I thought that was kind of a weird spot in the mat like it it didn't the match didn't flow smooth you know and no not at Hayes all on commentary Hayes on commentary said it looked like a Luthez attempt and I was thinking of Hurricane Rana but like Massey didn't know how to take it and then when Chavo picked him up the way he held him I was expecting a hot shot type maneuver where he was going to drop him throat first over the top rope and mm -hmm. then he kind of like suplexed him and it looked awkward and I'm not sure if that was the finish because I don't know if you've noticed it but after the match you see chavo kind of like standing over him almost like to check on him or maybe he was scolding him i, I don't know this 
This match came off very weird. There was some uh, miss, miss spots in there for sure. Well, Ken Massey, we've seen him recently, but I don't know that he did much of anything before this. So he's fairly green to the business. And then you mix in moves like a Hurricane Rana, which you didn't see all the time back then. And of course, Chavo Guerrero, just a completely different style in himself, a great worker. Uh, but he had a lot of moves that if you didn't know what was coming, you know, you could easily botch it. And I, it looked to me Hurricane Rana all day. And then Massey just kind of falls backwards with it. It's not like he lost his balance. He just didn't know which way to go, and he took a back bump. And then Chavo pops up, and then, like you said, he kind of grabs him, and I don't know if he knew what he was going to do with him, and turns it into a Northern Lights, and we're done here. But I agree with you, the entire match, it, was just, it never gelled. And with Chavo being the aggressor and Massey is essentially being a prelim guy, there was no reason for it not to come out a little better than this. So just an off night for Chavo, but certainly Ken Massey didn't do any favors either. And, you know, that was back in an era where the wrestlers didn't discuss their matches like they do today. So, you know, Massey might not have known a whole bunch about Chavo or, yeah, it, it just did not have a good flow to it. Kind of surprised they put that match on TV, to tell you the truth. Up next, we get a video package recapping last week's events. We see Terry Gordy and Dr. Death, the Freebirds, attacking Cowboy Bill Watts after his match with Sting. We get the replay of Bill Watts' promo later in the show as well. And then we come back from the video package. The fans are chanting sissy at Michael Hayes, and he can't take it anymore. Hayes going to leave commentary and storm to ringside. He has a message for the man who started this whole sissy thing. Is Michael Hayes going to call out Ted DiBiase to come out here and do something about it? And it doesn't take long. Out comes DiBiase, who just takes it to Michael Hayes. The prissy sissy sends him bouncing around the ring. But wouldn't you know it, free bird buddy Roberts in from behind making it a two-on-one, but then it's Terry Taylor out to even the odds. DiBiase with a power slam on Michael Hayes, but Buddy Roberts removing his boot and blasting Taylor with it, knocking him silly and busting him wide open. And then here comes free bird Terry Gordy, going to make it a three-on-two now, well, maybe three-on-one, Taylor down and out. But wait, out comes Hacksaw Jim Duggan as the crowd erupts even louder. Hacksaw finally getting his hands on the UWF champion Terry Gordy once again as the brawl going to spill to the outside before the Freebirds back away. Hayes and Buddy Roberts having to hold Gordy back as Terry Taylor down and out courtesy of Buddy's boot. And I love that Terry Gordy, even as a heel, portrayed as a man's man here. He doesn't want to back up. He doesn't want to retreat. It's the other birds that have to well, to them, talk sense into him. Well, yeah, he's the UWF heavyweight champion. You know, he's a fighting champion. And this whole little segment kind of reminded me like a, a Survivor Series showdown, you know, where you would have Martel versus Tito, and then right. Martel's guys would come out, Tito, you know, to one, one after another, you know, Roberts, and then Taylor, and then this guy, and this guy. and uh, But something I noticed, that it was kind of weird, the timing of Terry Taylor bleeding he missed that cross body, and when he got up, he was bleeding as Roberts was, like, getting ready to take off the boot. I don't know. It just seemed like I, I missed something, you know, like did Taylor bleed too soon or something just seemed a little weird about that. I, I, I was guessing that he gigged as he, you know, missed the cross body. I'm just assuming he gigged early. Right. Before, before the, which they did that sometimes, too, if that, if that was the situation. But, I, yeah, you just happened to be looking for it, and you caught it, Roman. So good, good deal there. Uh, every now and then I, I get something right. <laughs> you sound like Jamie. 
Come on now. Oh, <laughs> uh, we go on. It's uh, Blade Runner Sting out here for singles competition. Remember Rock abandoning him here, which is uh, the best thing that happened to both guys, really. Uh, but Sting with Eddie Gilbert in his corner, taking on Brett Wayne Sawyer as Eddie Gilbert grabs the microphone, laughing and bragging about his souvenir, the Cowboys belt, showing off the belt buckle of Cowboy Bill Watts that Eddie stole last week after that beatdown. As the Stinger going to have to win back some momentum here this week, jobbing to Bill Watts in 90 seconds last week. Uh, Brett Wayne with some nice arm tracks to start. Surprise cross body block, only going to get a one count here on Sting. Stinger going to go back for a slam. Sawyer, though, sliding over and executing a reverse rolling cradle, getting a near fall on the Blade Runner. Sawyer, though, misses a corner charge, goes shoulder first into the ring post. And Stinger with a high elevation elbow drop, Going to get himself a two count. Sting continues on with the basics here, but he's forced to work. No tagging out. Sting going to have to learn how to wrestle here as we see clotheslines, a suplex, body slam, bear hug. Nothing fancy, Roman, but Sting's starting to have to work here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, being on his own, he wasn't going to rely on the power that he did with the Warrior. Like you said, he had to learn to work a little bit. And uh, for the long term, obviously, it was a uh, it was a successful strategy or whatever to learn how to actually work a little bit yeah obviously you know you get lost you tag out and those guys were tagging out uh, quite a bit as the blade runners but also they were more so that road warrior model where they didn't really have to sell a whole lot unless it was against bill watts or dr death or someone like that and here he's working brett wayne sawyer and taking bumps and having to sell so he's actually learning how to work now and build up his stamina you know because he wasn't in the tag team with the warrior you know in singles matches he might have to go a little bit longer there is no tagging out when you're getting tired and like you said it would just it made him a better all-around wrestler you know being able to last longer actually wrestle a little bit and uh it definitely reaped the benefits as his career went on oh for sure as a sting back in control here but he misses a sit out clothesline and takes a bump on the mat brett sawyer jumping back up landing a nice trifecta of drop kicks as only he can do. Sawyer with one foot on the top rope and one on the middle, so I guess that makes it half legal, as he looks for a flying body press. But Sting ducks, and Sawyer going to crash and burn on the mat, as Sting going to deliver the gorilla press slam, and a high jumping splash gives Sting the win. Five minutes and three seconds. Sting clearly moving more into an actual worker now than just a no-sell monster. We talked about that, but the evolution begins here, right here on Regional Wrestling, in 1986, just as Sting's real career comes to an end here in 2024. You know, this was not a bad match, but Ross spent half the match promoting upcoming shows, you know, which to me was a little bit distracting to spend so much time while the while there was actually action in this match. You know, if it was a side headlock and you wanted to mention a few cities you were going to, that's one thing. But uh, you had talked about Brett Sawyer, and I noticed it too. He started off on the second rope, put one foot on the top rope, and it was almost like he remembered, well, if I put both feet on the top and rope and come <laughs> off, it's going to be a DQ. So it was kind of weird to see one on the second, one, one foot on the top rope, and I don't know. I just caught that. I wonder if he had like a, a mental, mental lapse there for a second, like, oh, better not come off the top rope completely or I'll get DQ'd. Yeah, he must have loved the Crockett Cup because he, he tried to utilize that top rope as many times as he could during that, that match. But uh, back to the yep. UWF rules and uh, back to that middle rope. And you talked about them promoting local shows. Even in the Chavo match, they didn't really do it during it, but using the Guerrero name to sell their upcoming uh, you know, event in El Paso where Gory Guerrero actually promoted for years during the Amarillo and Funk territory. So 
Uh, we're going to see that again before this episode's over. We'll talk about it when we get there. For now, with the action continues on with Kamala in the ring with General Skandor Akbar taking on the missing link with Dark Journey as Frank Dusick back to commentary here this week. Kamala attacking Link straight away. Big overhand chop to the head of the Link. But Link no-sells Kamala. And you don't see that every day, Roman. Kamala continues pounding on Link's head, even driving it into the buckle. But Link responds by driving his own head into the buckle another good half dozen times. And it seems to confuse Kamala and maybe even frighten him as he runs over to the opposite corner to look for advice from his manager, Skandor Akbar. And Kamala going to return with a Savat kick, chopping away at Link here, rocking the green-faced hero, but he can't seem to take him off his feet. Link just didn't like the bump. But eventually, though, missing Link begins to absorb the blows from the Ugandan, and Link hammering away, driving back with headbutts to the chest of Kamala. And then it's Skandor Akbar up on the apron, but Dark Journey distracts him to get him back down. Meanwhile, missing Link with a running headbutt to Kamala right in the chest, takes the Ugandan off his feet. Kamala knocked down for the first time in the match, but you don't see Kamala go down that often, Roman. No, not at all. And why would you? You know, he's a savage. You don't want to see him getting knocked down every match because then he doesn't come off as that uh, invincible monster. Well, absolutely. And the fact that when the link knocks him off his feet here, that is another reason why this crowd erupts because we don't see Kamala go down to just anybody, but the missing link with that running headbutt into the chest drops the Ugandan as the link with a series of headbutts in the corner and Kamala going to roll out to the floor. At that point, Kamala grabbing hold of Link's foot as we see some bodies running by the ring. What is this? Jim Ross says why it's Hollywood John Tatum and Jack Victory. Tatum has his shoe off, blasting the missing Link across the head with it. Link has to sell it. We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, as this obviously draws a disqualification, match only went one minute and 55 seconds. Uh, but John Tatum just pummeling Link down with, on the mat with the shoe until Dark Journey jumps in, jumps on the back of Hollywood John. But Jack Victory snatching Journey off and Tatum and Victory going to hold DJ as Missy Hyatt comes in the ring. Missy is here in the UWF and she brought with her her infamous Gucci purse. Missy blasting Journey across the head with the Gucci purse, knocking DJ out cold. Meanwhile, Missing Link recovers, running the heels off but the damage already done. You know, I had mentioned on the previous podcast that these two had better, two of the best gimmick changes, you know, in the history of wrestling. So to see them square off in this match was kind of mm -hmm. cool. And then, you know, Ross early on mentioned that Akbar once managed Link and that Link and Kamala were stablemates. There you Again, go. Again, yeah. when they Reference acknowledge it. the past, mm -hmm. like they do with the Freebirds and DiBiase, to me, it just makes it so much better of a product to do that, you know, so you figure kayfabe wise, you know, that Akbar would know Link's secrets, his strategies and whatnot, you know, and that he could pass them on to Kamala, you know, so I thought that was a good job of Ross doing that. And this week, Missy Hyatt's Gucci purse makes her UWF debut as she put they, a they wall up on Dark Journey. They didn't waste any time debuting that Gucci purse and getting that over. No, and uh, for those of you that were wondering, I remember Missy Hyatt in a shoot interview saying that sometimes like a Pepsi can would be in the purse. So when it hits somebody, it would make like a loud sound or something, you know, to kind of add to the effect a little bit. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I, I hadn't heard that before. Good to know. Uh, two of the greatest gimmicks of all time in here. We weren't going to see a classic match by any means. And it goes pretty short here under two minutes, but it's really here just for an angle. Remember Jack victory said he, he could make a call. Apparently he made that call. 
uh, pretty quickly because I think this is on the same TV taping. But we'll just ignore that, Roman. And uh, John Tatum has arrived along with Missy Hyatt. And uh, things will never be the same here again in the UWF as the the heels. Uh, it seems like we got a new faction brewing. Yes. And, you know, just thinking about it, how you said that this match was just under two minutes. UWF was great out of getting a lot in a short period of time. Yeah. You know, they knew they only had two minutes, so they didn't put on a 45-second rest hold or a side headlock. Like, they crammed a lot of action into this two minutes. It was exciting. Well, yeah, you can't argue that. I mean, that's that's the entire episode for the most part. It's just boom, boom, boom. You, you really have time. You 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 want a commercial break. Most time you watch something, you hate commercials. But here, I, I need one every now and then just to kind of compose myself. Such excitement, you know, during this time to get so much into so little. So and little time, but so much, so much action. And kudos to Dark Journey, who really hasn't been in the business very long. And, and clearly, based on her fights with Maxine and upcoming here with Missy, uh, she doesn't really know how to work, per se. Uh, but she lays out cold here. The camera pans right on her face, and she does a great job selling it. So uh, I, I thought she did a good job in her spot here as well. Everybody getting over as we head off to the locker room now. Going to follow up with an interview involving John Tatum, Missy Hyatt, Jack Victory. Uh, they're going to introduce themselves uh, formally here this time around as Victory. He warned Dark Journey all he had to do was make that call, and that he did to his old high school and surfing buddy, John Tatum. Meanwhile, Missy Hyatt out here asking for a chair, a Coke, and a hairbrush. Uh, and Victory, he goes and retrieves all of those things for her. Great touch here, though. I had to pop. As we learned the hairbrush, it wasn't for Missy. But she gets the brush, and rather, she begins to brush the hair of John Tatum. I wrote, great bit. From there, they warn the missing link that this is only the beginning. And I am so pumped that we have Hollywood Tatum and Missy Hyatt here now in the UWF. Oh, yeah. And then uh, after she drinks that can of Coca-Cola, like I said, maybe she'll put it in her purse for uh, <laughs> next week's TV taping. Maybe she won't drink it at all. Maybe she'll just keep a loaded yeah. Coke in there. There you go. Yeah. She's probably got a, more than one Coke in her purse, if you know what I'm talking about. As uh, we uh, get that, in. Was too, that was low-hanging fruit. I had to pass on that one. <laughs> oh, my God. Here we go. UWF Tag Team Champions in the ring. This is what I was talking about in regards to selling some upcoming events. Is, uh, the Fantastics are out here taking on the duo of the Libyan and Gustavo Mendoza. I wrote, well, that didn't take long as the evil foreign menaces team up. Two enhancement workers that can make the more polished wrestlers look good. You know, even though the Libyan is yeah. new, you could tell he kind of had that look, you know, that if you beat him, it kind of had that feel like you beat somebody important, you know. And then uh, Mendoza, we've sung his praises for weeks now. So when I saw this match coming up, Fantastics for Mendoza and Libyan, I was like, that's two good enhancement workers for the Fantastics to go against. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a credible team, at least for television, certainly. You might want to see a little more on the house shows, but I'll take this on TV any week as the Fantastics going to dominate as the announcers use this match, once again, as you talked about earlier, to shill their house shows in Memphis and Dallas, taking over other territories. Memphis and Dallas. I don't think it was a mistake that they brought those specific cities up here on TV. It's amazing. They keep taking jabs at Dallas, you know, almost like we took your talent. Now we're going to rub your nose in it, you know, like, hey, we got this guy and we're coming back to your town with your guy. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy because half the roster here pretty soon is going to end up being the old world class roster. So if you're just a casual fan who knows some of the local wrestlers, you probably are confused which territory is which at this point. Yeah, you know, and like I alluded to, you know, it was great for the UWF to acquire that talent. 
but as a fan of world class, it kind of sucked. Like, damn, all their guys are going. You know, you, right. you get stuck with guys like Frankie the Thumper Lancaster, you know, and guys like that that weren't going to draw a dime. Yeah. Well, Buzz Sawyer's there, so you know, they got that anyway. And Matt Bourne, well, we talked about that a little bit last time. Uh, we're going to continue on here with the UWF, the Fantastics. Uh, Gustavo Mendoza, Heat's eight, and Bobby Fulton, knee lift, and then Tommy Rogers in with a nice-looking drop kick. Then the Libyan joins in for a four-way melee as the heels collide, center ring, double drop kick, going to send the Libyan out to the floor, and then another double drop kick on Mendoza as Bobby Fulton going to press Tommy Rogers into the air and drop him on top of Gustavo in a splash. The Fantastics picking up a quick win here, two minutes and 19 seconds. I wrote, that was quicker than I expected. Yeah, I, I could have gone with a little bit more, but, you know, when they have those short matches, like we said, it's because they're letting more mainstream stars or, or bigger angles go a little bit longer, so you can't really complain too much about that. See, I want the more talented preliminary guys to go longer, but it, it makes sense that they want them in the shorter matches because they can do more in making the talent look better in those short matches than, than a Ken Massey can. Right, you know, and Mendoza and Libyan, like you said, can make guys look good in a short period of time, so I had no problem with that match being only a couple minutes. Well, remember the brawl from earlier on between the Birds, Taylor, and all that good stuff? Well, after Terry Taylor was waffled by that boot earlier, Jim Ross reported that he was lacerated and pondered if Terry could even compete in what was scheduled to be Gordy and Roberts versus Duggan and Taylor in today's feature match. But not only does Terry Taylor return to ringside here for the feature, so does Ted DiBiase, making this a six-man tag team match if the Freebirds will accept that challenge. As the faces charge the ring, we get a pure sixer right away. A wild brawl leads to the baby faces finally clearing the birds to the outside. Then Terry Gordy grabs hold of the ring bell and whips it into the fucking ring. I, I'm glad it didn't hit anybody as Jim Duggan going to pick it up and ring it just for a little fun. Yeah, and there's a excitement right from the get-go with this uh, all-star dream match, if you want to call it that. Just six tremendous talents, and they wasted no time getting right after it. Jim Ross selling that we may have a six-man on our hands if Michael Hayes will accept that challenge. We'll have to wait and see in just a moment. But Terry Gordy chucking that bell in the ring. You know, we've seen it used. We've seen people use a ring bell, but never whip it at somebody before. Uh, so Terry Gordy, just, just a beast out here as we get huge sissy chants. And apparently this match is unofficial, so Michael Hayes, you know, having a little issue, but eventually his ego gets to him. He jumps in the ring, and away we go. Six-man tag team action. Ted DiBiase, Terry Taylor, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, taking on all three fabulous Freebirds here in the main event. And, you know, you had alluded to that sometimes you feel like you need a commercial break to kind of catch your breath. So this was interesting that they had the action start, you know, you, they wet your appetite a little bit. Then they announced the wrestlers to kind of calm things down for a very brief amount of time. Very, very brief indeed. Finally, the action gets going again. Buddy Roberts in the wrong corner early on, getting hammered on by the baby faces as Terry Gordy tags in. And so does Jim Duggan. And Gordy hops to the floor to break the momentum here. Jim Ross points out on commentary, breaking the momentum and the noise from the fans. It was a very good psychology. The crowd goes nuts. Jim Duggan got to get his hands on Terry Gordy. What does a true champion, a veteran do? He gets out of the ring and kills the crowd. Exactly. And, 
you know, with this matchup, it's interesting that there's so many ways they could have went, you know, like they could have had Hayes and DiBiase go in the ring for a long time because of what they have going on mm-hmm. at the commentary table and their past history, or they could have Taylor versus Roberts, you know, since they had feuded over the TV belt, but Duggan versus Gordy to me was the main like focal point, but no matter how you went with this, you couldn't go wrong. This was an all-star dream matchup. And when Duggan and Gordy got in there, I mean, it was exciting. Yeah, Duggan's been wanting his hands on the UWF champion. He feels like that belt was stolen from him in the finals of the tournament and looking for a little revenge here. You you touched on the Michael Hayes DiBiase situation, and of course, you know, Buddy Roberts did indeed knock Terry Taylor loopy earlier. So even Taylor has a reason for revenge in this one. As Michael Hayes is going to distract Duggan while Terry Gordy attacks from behind, but Duggan blasting Gordy with a clothesline and drilling Buddy Roberts and Michael Hayes as the Freebirds will retreat to the floor. Tough guy. And as the birds regroup and get Duggan in their corner for some simple triple teaming here. But Hacksaw fighting his way out, blasting all three free birds. Now, it took a good worker to make this believable, but I always loved when a big baby face would fight his way out of the heel corner. Oh, without a doubt. You know, I mean, it makes the crowd feel like they had a little something to do with it. You know, like we're cheering him on and yeah, he did it for us, you know, and it was just it always made the baby face look good. If it's the right baby face, you know, if it was right. Coco battling all three free birds, it wouldn't have had the same impact. But if Duggan can break loose, that means something. Yeah, somebody's in trouble. Hacksaw fighting off all three free birds. Is Buddy Roberts going to stumble into the baby face corner where Duggan tags in Terry Taylor? And Taylor looking for revenge. As remember, it was Roberts who busted him open earlier in the program. So Taylor going to drill Buddy. As Roberts winds up trapped in the ropes, Terry has control until Buddy goes to his eyes and tags in the big man, Terry Gordy. And Gordy in with a really impressive snap suplex on Terry Taylor. And then Michael Hayes in off the middle rope. A shout out here to Jerry Lawler gets a fist drop for a two count. But Terry Taylor begins fighting back on Michael Hayes when we're out of time. The show ends. Only four minutes shown here leaves you wanting more. Oh, you definitely wanted more, but... With everything they gave us this week, you know, you couldn't really be mad. I mean, you can't expect to always get a finish on a main event. Uh, but they, to me, they gave you enough that you were glad you saw. You know, it's a lot better than seeing them just lock up and, oh, we're out of time. You know, at least you got to see some action. You got to hear the crowd. You got to hear Ross's excitement. So at least they gave you something where you felt like you were glad you tuned in. No, I agree. I wasn't really upset with this either. In fact, in my notes, I wrote, and after giving us so many finishes lately here at the end of the show, I'm not mad on this one, Roman. I mean, I want to see a finish, but I got what they were trying to do here. Load up the main event with talent and action to draw you in. And hey, we got that wild brawl before the match. So even though it was only four minutes of technical wrestling here going on, legal wrestling, we also got the brawl before it. We got a lot of action in. So, you know, I, I beggars can't be choosers. And I'm happy with what they gave us here. You know, and that was back in an era, too, where the mentality was like, well, you can't give them everything for free on TV. They won't come out to the arena, you know? So and then you turn around, look it, what they've given it us. Wet your appetite. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. They, they, The UWF 86, they gave you more than anybody else, you know? So you couldn't complain. You know, you could watch the NWA, and there were times where you would go weeks before you would see a so-called marquee matchup. Right. They were giving us sometimes two and three. There was a show where, you know, three title changes, you know, happened down the road. I mean, when did that ever happen on free TV? 
No, yeah, it's it's been a wild summer so far, and you know it's just going to continue on as that episode of UWF comes to a close. We move on to the July sixth Power Pro. Fair warning, guys, I do have this episode, but I have to, I, I mislocated it. All right misplaced sorry. you misremembered where you put it <laughs> there you go yeah I, I i misplaced it somewhere uh, i'm sure i'll find it here over the next few days but until then it's not on my youtube for anybody looking for it if this comes out before it's found i apologize but really not a whole lot here just a lot of throwback stuff and, and rehash of things we've recently seen on television we go all the way back to 1983 september of 83 we get a missing link match squash match over at tim horner with a mustache so there's always that we get the Dark Journey Dress You Up music video. We go back to the June 28th TV, the missing link over Jack Victory. A midget match here, I believe, from the Superdome. It's Little Tokyo versus Little Coco. It's actually aired here, I think, just to hype up a upcoming midget match they have at the Sam Houston Coliseum. We also get Terry Gordy over Steve Williams from the semifinals of the UWF tournament, which takes us to the Gordy-Williams match that we saw on TV last week. And then from there, it's also the Bill Watts whipping Eddie Gilbert thing with the Freebirds destroying Watts. So it's just a lot of buildup from everything that we saw last week on TV. So this week, like we talked about, sometimes it's just a bunch of throwback stuff. Last week on Power Pro, this week it was more about keeping people up to date in case you missed missed recent UWF television. And when you mentioned Little Tokyo, I couldn't help but smile. I had flashbacks to when there was an independent league here in the 90s, mm-hmm. and Little Tokyo was there, and he was one of the most over guys, and people would be chanting his name. Awesome. When the promoter would get get on the house mic and go, who do you want to see next month? And people were chanting for Little Tokyo. He was one of the most over guys. Oh, he, he, he was a real that. nice guy. And, he had to uh, love that. You know, they, they were looked at as kind of, you know, a novelty, like a women's match back then or whatever. Right. But, uh, yeah, he, he was a good talent and a nice guy. You know, it's uh, sad to hear that he passed years ago. Uh, that truly is unfortunate. I didn't even know. You know, usually I try to keep up with everybody passing. I didn't know Tokyo had passed away. That is, you know, sad to hear. As we end uh, this episode of Power Pro, we get a Fantastics video. Give me all your lovin', ZZ Top. So Power Pro going to conclude there. We're going to have to wait and see what happens next week on UWF TV. But before we conclude this week's regional wrestling, it's back to the Sam Houston Coliseum, Roman, for results for July the 11th. All right, let's do it. All right, so we got a unique situation here on this card because this entire card here from the Sam Houston Coliseum, it actually exists. See, the local Houston wrestling TV program ran a two-hour show every week, guys. Now, an hour of it was UWF TV, the one we just talked about, but mixed in were the matches from the Coliseum. Well, over the course of the next two or three weeks of TV, this entire card airs on Houston TV So it's technically out there in completion for those who know where to find it. I just wish it had been a little better of a card, but still kind of cool. Yeah. Anytime you see something like that, that's not shown on the main syndicated program, it's pretty cool. You know, I've got stuff from Japan TV where they would show an NWA show from an arena. And I'm like, well, that's kind of neat to see It's, It's almost like bonus footage, so to speak. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. As we get rolling here, preliminary action, going to see gorgeous. Well, he's not gorgeous yet, but it's Gary Young defeating the Libyan five and a half minutes with a running cross body. So Gary Young here now. Also, it's midget action, clearly booked by Paul Bosch because they don't wrestle anywhere else on the UWF circuit. It's Cowboy Lang over at Lord Littlebrook with a roll up in seven minutes. Then from there, listen to this one. Sting with hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert in his corner. It's the Stinger defeating Jeff Gaylord, who finally comes to wrestle. Though I don't count it as as existing until he actually appears on UWF TV. But nevertheless, 
we get a matchup here. Sting over Jeff Gaylord after Eddie Gilbert's interference, distracting Gaylord, allowing Sting to attack him with a high knee from behind, then a clothesline and a big splash. Listen to this one. Sting and Jeff Gaylord, both technically rookies here. The match goes 13 minutes. You get better by learning from more experienced opponents, so I'm not really sure what this did for either guy. It was more like the blind leading the blind to a degree, but well-booked finish. However, Sting and Jeff Gaylord, yeah, it wasn't pretty. Yeah, I was going to say 13 minutes with those two at that time probably felt like an hour and a half. And was... uh, like you said, with Gaylord, it's almost like the Loch Ness Monster. You know, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, you, you hear about him in the ring, but it'd be nice to see once in a while. It's kind of like how the WWF would treat wrestlers on primetime. Until they made it to superstars, they don't really exist. So uh, that's kind of that's how I'm treating Jeff Gaylord here in Houston. I saw him wrestle Sting, but until he actually wrestles on UWF TV, he hasn't made it there yet, as far as I'm concerned, guys. As we continue on here in the Houston Coliseum, it's the missing link teaming with the Birdman Coco Beware. They're going to score a win here over Jack Victory and John Tatum on a disqualification. Match goes about 11 minutes. Missing link landing his big power slam on Tatum, and he goes up to the middle rope for that diving headbutt when he's tripped up right in front of the referee by Missy Hyatt on the outside. So Missy running interference there, going to give the baby faces the DQ win. But it's what happens after the match that catches the fans' attention as we get our very first Dark Journey, Missy Hyatt, catfight. And uh, I can hear Joey Styles right now. Catfight! Catfight! <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. But... Those women ended up with more bumps and bruises than a lot of the men because they, quite frankly, didn't, didn't know how to work. You know, you, Missy and, and Dark Journey, it's not like they headlined WrestleMania or anything. They didn't know how to work. And yeah, they, were, they took some bumps and bruises back in the day. Yeah, and when we say they didn't know how to work, I'm not talking about they didn't know how to throw an arm drag or tell a story. I mean, they just didn't want to know how to work. They just laid into each other, and Missy's told the stories for years about these fights with Dark Journey. Probably took some time off of both of their lives, really, but it's just uh, when you watch these things, they are, they are very realistic for a reason. Yes, exactly. Also on the card, UWF TV champion Terry Taylor over Buddy Roberts. Also on a disqualification. Match goes about nine minutes. Michael Hayes going to do a run in here. Uh, but this time, it's not just a DQ and a damn, what a, what a crappy finish, Roman, because it leads to something. With Michael Hayes causing interference, running in and attacking Terry Taylor, it leads to a six-man tag team match. Now, originally, it was supposed to be Chavo and Bill Watts taking on Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy, but instead... All six men going to get in here, kind of similar to what we saw on TV. And it's going to see Chavo Guerrero, Terry Taylor, and the Cowboy, Bill Watts, defeat the fabulous Freebirds on a DQ. Match goes about 10 and a half minutes. Total chaos at the end of the matchup. Cowboy going to lay everybody out with a pair of brass knucks. Brass knucks. You know, Cowboy, it just goes to show you back in the day the way people viewed baby faces. Watts would come out with the baseball bat, and he would call it his wing clipper, you know, and the fans would cheer. Brass knucks, they would cheer, but, you know, if the Freebirds had brass knucks or a baseball bat, they're bad guys, you know, but if the right guy does it, he's a hero. Fans are just, just well, fans are heels in it to a degree. They, they like what they like, and, you know, they they ignore things, Roman, that, that are blatantly obvious when they want to. Oh, yeah, you know, that's <laughs> part of being a wrestling fan, you know. You, everybody's got their favorites, and they root for them, you know. Hook no matter what they do, whatever, yeah, there you go, yep. I always wondered how all those years the fans would cheer for Hulk Hogan when he cheated so many times to pick up those victories, but 
that's another promotion and another time. So we go back here to the UWF. We're in the Houston Coliseum. But I had to mark out as I was watching this match because at the end of the match, we get Gordy and Bill Watts in the ring just for 15 seconds. But between Gordy's selling of Watts' punches and just seeing the two in the ring, I had to mark out. Yeah, very, very short-lived. And, uh, but, you know, everybody knew to sell for the boss. You know, it, it didn't matter that he was older and that Gordy had been around for 11 years or whatever at this point, but it was the boss. So if he threw a punch or did something, you had to sell for him. You wanted and, to get your paycheck. And it was great because the birds were double teaming, triple teaming Watts. He seemed to be in trouble, but <laughs> he didn't have a baseball bat. But what he did have, he went into his trunks and pulled out a pair of brass knuckles. And as you said, the fans popped as he began laying the birds out left and right. Really, really fun action, even if we did get a disqualification there. So the Freebirds continue to feud with the Cowboy and company as we go into the, well, what was supposed to be the main event. And this is kind of where the show falls flat, but it's really no fault of, well, maybe booking-wise it is. But uh, what I'm talking about, we were supposed to see Hacksaw Jim Duggan take on the one-man gang, get his revenge, but it's going to be the gang over Duggan by default as a Hacksaw comes ringside in a neck brace. Apparently injured his neck the prior Sunday in a house show and the fans are booing loudly that they're not going to get their main event. They're not going to see Hacksaw. They're booing Duggan to a degree here as Hacksaw, he lets them have it. Shits all over the fans for booing him as he says, hey, I didn't have to be here. I came here to tell you guys in person that I'm sorry, you know, that because he wasn't supposed to make the trip. But I came here. I wanted to come here and tell you guys in person that I can't wrestle. This is a legit injury to Hacksaw's neck, which is unfortunate so quickly after the, the cracked cranium. Uh, as well, but you know the fans. Obviously, they're fans, and you, as you say, sometimes they're fickle. And even though that's their hero, their top baby face, they're booing Hacksaw because they're not going to get their main event. I would be pissed too, but you know I think they could have went a different way where Duggan gets on the mic and go, "I may not be able to wrestle, but Ted DiBiase can," or you know something like well, that, and give them something. That's you know? what I yeah. That's what I meant when I said I blame the booking. I don't blame Duggan's injury. He can't necessarily help. You know Duggan was trying to get back in the ring after he cracked his skull, so if he could work here with this injured neck, he would have. And I've, I've read reports right. that it anywhere from a, uh, a major whiplash to an actual crack in his neck, I don't really know what the situation is here. He's going to be out for a little bit. Sadly, you know, it's just unfortunate, especially with Doc and DiBiase leaving for Japan in July. It's kind of light here for the next few weeks in the Mid-South Territory, UWF. Sorry, I did like Jim Ross there. But no, um, yeah, you could tell wrestlers get emotional, even the baby faces. We've seen this before where the fans will boo them and they kind of break character and they let the fans have it. And rightfully so here. Yeah, you you should boo. Oh, man, damn, we're not getting the match. But they take it out on a guy who who's giving his life in the ring for these people. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the fans were probably more mad at the situation, per se, than Duggan himself because. Right. They would cheer Duggan, you know, no matter what. But yeah, if, if I plopped down my hard-earned money and and that happened, I I would not be happy about it by any stretch. You know, like I wanted to see a main event. I I wanted to see uh, something going on that's gonna make me go home and glad I showed up to the matches and not be told, oh, sorry, we don't have a match. No, and there was no reason not to put somebody in. And that they, I want to I want to point out too, this was scheduled to be the main event. They didn't have this go on last. They didn't do this at the end of the show. It went on likely before the Taylor Roberts match. But I, I put it here because you know I, I didn't want to ruin the rest of the show. But you're right, Terry Taylor already worked double duty. It was booked that way. 
but why not fill in here? Cowboys here, why not do that? Hey, I'll, I'll come in and fight for you, Duggan. You came and saved my tail more than once, or Chavo Guerrero's here. There's a few names that could have been, and now Doc and DiBiase don't seem to be on this card, so they're not in attendance. But I, And I, I'm not expecting Cowboy Lang to come out here and fight the gang or anything like that, but I mean, there are a couple, of, and Chavo's super over in the Houston territory, so that could have even made sense here. Missing Link is here. Quite a few names you could have subbed in here, even if it was just a, a five-minute schmoz. Make the fans feel like they got something. Yeah, and then, you know, they also could have went the route that, you know, gang had Akbar. So Duggan said, hey, I may not be able to get in the ring, but I'm going to stay out here and support, you know, like I said, hypothetically, D.B. Aussie or whatever. Sure. And Akbar, you better not think of getting in the ring because I will clean your claw or something. He could have kind of won the crowd back over with something along those lines, you know, at least have his presence there, even right. if he couldn't wrestle. Well, you know, I, I lost track of where we were in regards to date. It was July 11th, so I do believe Doc and DiBiase are back over in all Japan at this point, which is why they're not here at the Houston show. And again, Duggan injured. They're very light. This is their top three baby faces, all of them gone for the time being, and they're all going to be out for a few weeks. So everybody else going to have to hold the fort down. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, It always sucked when DiBiase would leave, but, you know, it kind of got me thinking about, like, in that, six man, you know, when they had the brawl on TV that we had talked about when DiBiase jumped over the railing, he's wearing that blue all Japan pro wrestling jacket. Yeah. And yeah. when I would see something like that, it would always be like, I thought it was cool as a fan because back then I didn't see all Japan. You only read about it in the magazines, but to see, right. you knew like he was a big deal. He was an international star. Look, he's wearing an all Japan jacket. They would not want him if he sucked. You know, so I always marked out when I would see guys wearing the All Japan stuff. No, yeah, it was cool because you knew it existed, but it felt like even though you weren't in Japan and you didn't get to see any of the great action, it was like proof it was there. You almost felt like you were there for just a moment in time to to see that. It's kind of cross-promotion, even if it really wasn't. Right. And, and it made, like I said, it made their stars look even bigger. Like Japan, you know, eight gazillion miles away, they want DiBiase as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean... Look where we're at now. Obviously, the top heels or the top baby faces are going to be out for a bit. Bill Watts feuding with the birds. We're going to have to see who steps in in the meantime. Terry Taylor certainly will have to, but everybody else is going to have to up their game as well in the interim here for the next few weeks in the UWF. Can't wait to see how they handle it as we continue on here with the Regional Wrestling UWF 86 Project, Roman. But this week, it's time to wrap things up, man. It's been a blast, man. Oh yeah, it's it's been awesome. And just just to piggyback on something you said about you know guys going to Japan, that's what's great about bringing in a Misty Hyatt, a Tatum, a Link, a Victory, you know Kamala, bringing in other talent to help you know bridge the gap till DiBiase and them do come back. Well, we're gonna have to wait and see what they do. I'm curious to see who ups their game. Is Coco Ware gonna get a shot? Obviously, like I said, Terry Taylor. Missing Link is here. Curious to see how they use him for a few weeks here, even though he's feuding with John Tatum and company, but. Uh, again, we'll just have to wait and see what happens as the shows continue on. I'm going to up some more episodes for everybody to watch over there on YouTube. So stay tuned there, youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. In the meantime, Roman, just appreciate you uh, taking a couple hours out of your time to record another show on your day off. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I wanted to thank you, Ray, for uploading these UWF episodes for the fans of the podcast that you know, weren't DVD traders or whatever, that they can actually watch them and watch along. And it's helped me out because I have a couple gaps in my collection. And by you uploading them, you know, it's helped me to be better prepared for the podcast. So I wanted to thank you for doing what you do to help out by uploading videos. 
Well, you know, it's uh, no problem. I want everybody to have access to what we're discussing here as best I can. And the fact that it it all exists and I, I happen to have it, I thought it was just a great idea to to put it up there, whether you people are watching along with us or people are just going and watching things that they listen to us talk about and go, hey, I got to go see that segment specifically. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's a good deal to have it there for everybody to watch. And I try to upload them before the shows drop so everybody has time to go check them out in advance and, and kind of get our opinions afterwards if that's the way they want to do it. But, yeah, just another great week here on the show. And, man, was it action-packed is what we promised, and they certainly delivered. Oh, it was excitement personified. Like I said, with that Doc and Gordy, when I went back and watched it, I, I got the chills again. You know, like, that's how good it was. And I'm not hyping it. The UWF isn't paying me or, you know, anything. I'm not another payroll. It really was that much fun to be a fan and watch this stuff. So I encourage anybody out there that hasn't seen it, go to Ray's YouTube page, watch the videos, and you can see what we're talking about. You can hear the crowd. You can hear the enthusiasm. This was great stuff, and it was a great time to be a fan in 1986. No, uh, that episode, particularly with Bill Watson Sting and then the uh, Doc Gordy match, probably one of the best episodes of UWF TV of all time. Uh, but Roman, I just appreciate you being here, man, and I can't wait to see what we get into next time around. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping we can do it again uh, soon. You know, hopefully work cooperates and I can get some uh, off days in there and we can knock another one out pretty soon. All right, guys, going to wrap it up here this week. Want to thank our special guest once again. And, of course, you can follow me on X at Rasslin Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me, Facebook.com slash Rasslin Grenade. And we'll be back soon with more Memphis 85, more UWF 86, and, of course, Georgia 81 here on the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. <laughs>